Hi there, OCD family community. We are on the cusp of May here. It's gonna be May. <laughs> and if I may, you see what I did there? It's May with all the May things, yeah. I'm privileged to introduce you to the May triarch. Oh, I'm on fire now, y'all. Of the Morris family, which is the family I married into. And so, yes, that's right. My lovely mother-in-law, Debbie Palacero Morris, is joining us today for our family gathering. So come on in, because my mother-in-law is like kettle corn. She's sweet and salty. And regardless of how you slice it, we're in for a treat, y'all. So buckle up, because it's family time. I'm Nicole Morris, licensed marriage and family therapist and mental health correspondent. And let me be the first to say, welcome to the family. The CD family, that is. I am here to create a community of support for family members, spouses, partners, parents, adult children, as there may be adult words and chosen family of OCD sufferers and their community. I've had over 22 years of experience in the mental health field, but please note that this information does not qualify or substitute as a diagnostic evaluation, therapy, or treatment, and it is presented on an as-is basis. Please follow up with a qualified mental health provider in your area regarding concerns for yourself or loved ones. Thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get started. So, you know, what's actually interesting. This is really kind of something I'm just thinking about after talking about kettle corn. I actually hate kettle corn. Like, I love popcorn, like buttery, even savory popcorn, but sweet. Like, I never even really liked caramel corn. So, like, kettle corn is just kind of like, what is this? What is this fraud? What happened to my popcorn? But I do love my mother-in-law, and so she's not like kettle corn in that way. I, I love her very much. It's just not, it's not my bag. But salty and sweet, I feel like that captures Debbie really well. I'll let you judge for yourself, but she's very loving as well. She's a very loving person, so I'm grateful to introduce you to her. And if you've been around our family gatherings for a minute now, You've probably met Patrick. Patrick's been on a few different episodes sprinkled throughout the season. And so I always think it's fun to pair him up with his mama because he's very selective, I guess you could say, in how he verbalizes things. And my mother-in-law is just that breath of air, come fresh air or fire. <laughs> and she'll just lay it out for you. So, you know what, it's, it's really part of her endearing charm at this point, and more so, she really does have such a caring and loving heart. So I'm incredibly thankful for her willingness to come on the show and share with our OCD family community, because believe it or not, y'all, we don't necessarily see eye to eye when it comes to OCD. But she's willing to have these conversations because, again, she'll lay it out for you. And I really, really appreciate and respect that about her. So I asked her to come on because whether you're a family member listening here or a loved one of your OCD warrior, whether you're a practitioner, a researcher, or have lived experience of suffering from OCD yourself, it's hard. This is hard. And sometimes we struggle to have these candid conversations with the people that we love the most. I'll be the first to tell you, I do this for a living. I'm a quote-unquote OCD specialist. People refer to me as an expert. I have lived experience 
have children with OCD, have family with OCD. And yet, sometimes the hardest, most difficult people to have this conversation with around OCD are with my loved ones or treasured friends that are chosen family. And why? Well, probably because the stakes feel so high and I care so much, which is not to say that I don't care about others, but I can be more objective in those cases. Here, it feels like the stakes are really high when it comes to besties, children, family. So that can be so, so hard because our intention to want to help, to support, to offer hope to the people we care most about sometimes can come off as aggressive, coercive, minimizing, acting out of desperation, not helpful. So it gets really tough sometimes to have these conversations, which is part of why I wanted to have this conversation with Debbie here. Not only because I love and care about her family, but I care about you all too. And goodness, if a quote-unquote expert can wrestle with having some of these conversations around treatment with our loved ones, then can't we all? So I am talking with Debbie today. And as it turned out, there was so much to talk about that I'm going to be talking with her next week as well, because we did a pretty deep dive on scrupulosity that I don't want to get lost in the length of the episode. So today we'll just start. I'm sure Debbie could guess what I'm going to say, because we've been having these types of conversations for years now, years but she still chose to meet me here for it, and I honor that. Also, Debbie, as I shared, with her permission months ago, also has a metaphobia, and a metaphobia which is classified as an OCD-related disorder in the DSM, that's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual 5, but it is separate from OCD. However, a metaphobia and OCD, they love a good tussle, y'all. And as Debbie will point out, they really do entangle with one another. So today we're going to focus a bit on the evolution of recognizing OCD symptoms and emetophobia, and we're going to skim the surface on another big theme of scrupulosity OCD. So we'll talk about that next week, but we'll also skim the surface a bit on scroop this week because today's episode really helps establish the why, the foundation for going into deeper conversation around that theme. Additionally, we are mere days away from the Virtual Faith in OCD conference that the International OCD Foundation hosts. And this has become an annual conference that I think is really, really helpful. Scrupulosity for our new fam in town can be that moral or religious form of OCD that really turns up the distress and hijacks people from being able to engage authentically within their value-oriented faith or morality. So I just wanted to do a little shout out for IOCDF's Faith and OCD Conference because you can still register. And y'all, it's very reasonably priced. So if you are a person with lived experience, if you are a person within the faith community that sees this come up or partners with mental health or want to have more information to distinguish doctrine from mental health and diagnosis, or just a person also experiencing it or supporting married to, child of, parent of, somebody struggling with scrupulosity, OCD, it's like $10. $10. It's a one-day deal. 
It's online. It's like four or five hours. And it's so great. And if you are a practitioner and you're needing CEUs, it's only $50 to participate and get the CEU. So if you don't need the CEUs, you can go. 10 bucks. If you do, 50 bucks. That's pretty great. Also, just wanted to highlight that because it's going to be happening on Monday, May 1st. If this is replay fam finding this episode after it posted, we are way past Monday, folks. We are May. We are way past May 1st, 2023. Let me just put this plug out there that usually at the International OCD Conference, which happens in July, that's the in-person conference, or at the virtual conference, which is usually sometime in the fall, around early November, or when you get to this time of year, like late April, early May, this conference is going to continue, I'm sure, to be offered. And so if you're like, oh, man, I'm coming to this late and I, I could have benefited from that. Just know, like there are going to continue to be opportunities. Also, I'm going to be putting links at OCDFamilyPodcast.com on the blog post for this episode, which is season one, episode 40. Woohoo! So you can always go over there and check it out. But IOCDF has a lot of great resources. I've also found inference-based CBT to be helpful in working through some of these scrupulous themes, particularly when we look at some of the vulnerable self-themes that pop up for people. So I think even if you're coming in late to this episode, no worries. There will continue to be great resources available to learn more about scrupulosity OCD. So without further ado, let me introduce you, fam, to my fam, my wonderful mother-in-law, Debbie Pelissera Morris, because she's a treasure, and I can't wait for y'all to hear more of her sassy sweet self. I am welcoming today to the OCD Family Podcast my beautiful, wonderful mother-in-law, Debbie Pelissero Morris. And also, fun fact, she's also a licensed marriage and family therapist. And so when I met my husband, he was like, my mom is also an LMFT. So that is a fun fact. But we did very different niches when it when it came to work mom would you want to tell a little bit about your background and the work that you did that you just recently kind of hung up your hat for which must feel surreal well i started out being a stay-at-home mom for 16 years so i wasn't able to go back to doing what i was doing prior to getting married and having kids which was insurance like rep right you were like vetting insurance risk I was an insurance adjuster. And so I prepared cases for trial. I prepared clients for trial. I did the investigation. I negotiated cases, all kinds of stuff like that. You were always an investigator then. I have always been an investigator and got a pretty mutual for teaching me how to investigate. So I was thinking, well, maybe I'd like to work with people in the church. And I thought, I probably need to go back and get a degree in counseling to do that. So I did that. And I actually had a really good job with a Christian company, but I also was working for the county. And some day a woman came in and sat down with us when we were in a meeting and she showed me pictures of a house with poo-poo on the floor. And she said, I just took these kids into protective custody, to which I asked, what is that? 
and my heart began to beat. Uh, so I wound up going to work as a CPS emergency response social worker. We also did emergency response mental health. So I could write a 5150 on you and put you in a psych hospital. Well, uh, yeah, that's right. So wait a minute. Like this is why you were made for that job and the job that you ended up doing for most of your career. Because most people would be like, I would hate to be a CPS worker. That would be awful. You're like, my heart's beating and I wanted to do it. <laughs> Which overall the system is designed to be protective for kids. But also we know, I'm sure down in LA at least, where I was living and working the most with CPS, Child Protective Services. There's different acronyms every state for Child Protective Services. So that was California's. But people had a caseload of 45 kids or 45 different households. It was impossibly hard. The burnout was really high. But I don't know what it was like for you up. Was it in Placer County that you were doing that? Yes. And the stuff that caused the burnout was the stuff I loved. I loved doing crisis work. There were time limits on everything I had to do. And I had to do what was in the best interest of the children, yeah. you know. So that, it's a pretty sacred position when you think about that. People have had really hard experiences with CPS and they haven't been pleasant or felt like maybe intervention was not justified. But at the other hand, it's like you, you're also saving lives in a lot of different situations as well. So, yeah, that does cause burnout for a lot, but you thrived off of it. That feels consistent. So my mother-in-law, she is, I was just talking with her. She's half Italian. She is... Maybe this is where Emma gets it. We call Emma our spicy jalapeno, and, and maybe this is where she gets the spicy from mom. <laughs> You're like, Neh. I don't know, maybe. Yeah, so you worked at Child Protective Services. When we met, you were doing court custody evaluations, which is also a niche. You have to have a specialized training in it. You also have to understand the system and be in with the lawyers and understand the courts and Liberty Mutual just set you up to litigate. But at the same time, that's a very hard line of work, too, that people burn out because usually parents are not getting along well when they need somebody to come in and mediate. Well, what happened was I retired from the county doing CPS stuff and went to work doing child custody evaluations and mediation in family court. And let me tell you, the same thing in terms of investigation, evaluation, negotiation and trying to get the cases not to have to go to court, but if they had to go to court, they had to go to court. Mm. But the funniest things about this was, even though I had done something very serious in removing children from their parents' homes for a time being, I found that doing the mediation with the parents who hated each other was, the place was a bloodbath. I mean, it was just, right. it was worse. Yeah. I mean, because at least... With insurance, they wanted my money, so they were nice to me. But with family law, they just hated me. So I thought, you know, that's fine. I don't care. That is a very interesting dynamic. And so how long did you do custody evaluations for? I started in 2010. I started working in mental health after I got my degree in 1996. Yeah. So 96 to 2010, I was doing CPS and emergency mental health. Yeah. And went into custody evaluations and mediation, family court. Did that about 12 years. Wow. 
So, and you talked about that being even harder. The parents, the co-parents, or like they're, I mean, absolutely hating each other. And so you didn't find that to be too draining either? Or did that part kind of explain? You know, yeah, I explain to you the best from our, my, your brother-in-law, my son-in-law, who is an oncologist, a hematologist, oncologist, bone marrow transplant doctor. Mm-hmm to me describe my job one day and he said I don't know how you do your job and I'm like how do you do yours you go in and you tell people I'm sorry there's nothing more we can do your child's gonna die I go in I'm taking the child away and I say all right I slap him upside the head and say get it together I'm gonna make a plan for you where you can't possibly lose your child as long as you do your service plan just shut up and do it, and your kids are coming home. That's hope. Yeah, and if you would talk to my brother-in-law, he would say, like, I take kids that for all reasons should die, and some of them get saved. So he also has that hope side of it. But I think that is a really interesting perspective. And you hear her sassiness. She should write for Hallmark, right, guys? But, no, we need people in each different kind of job that are going to be able to not burn out and be able to see through that or sift through that and hold the family, the child, the parents' best interest intention as well. So even though we're LMFTs, we're both licensed marriage and family therapists, we've had very different work always. When we yeah. first met, I was a birth to five specialist. Now I've, I have catapulted into the OCD world, which has been an interesting ch- for us, mom, hasn't it? Yes, it has. She says with a smile. Okay, so before we dive in, I just thought maybe we could talk about a few little funny memories from the course of our relationship. We've known each other since 2010, I think. And my first memory, Patrick and I have talked about this on the podcast before, my first memory of you was my first date with Patrick. You and Karen were on a drive somewhere and you guys were in some kind of conversation and you called Patrick and you're like, Patrick, what is the deal with jock straps? Explain to me, how does the, the jock strap work? Does it go around the side? Does it go up the butt? What is going on? All right. Love you. Bug bye. And that was the, that was the voicemail. And so he walked into our first date and was like, I'm just putting it all out on the table. This is my mom. This is the voicemail she left. And you know what? It, it didn't deter me because my family has a lot of a jocular sense of humor as well. But it was very like, here we are. I'm going to ask the questions. So that's one of my fun first memories. Do you remember leaving him? Probably not because you probably just call him anytime you have an interesting question. Well, that was a kind of a normal voicemail to leave him, but yeah, I remember. <laughs> You're like, that's what I call a Tuesday, right? Exactly. Exactly. Another funny memory I have with you is when I was in labor with Jack. I was terrified of giving birth because of the pain tolerance. I always joke that I the pain tolerance of a fruit fly, which I imagine is sub-zero. So giving birth felt like... I was going to crash. And everyone's like, it'll be worth it. And I'm like, screw you people. I'm still crashing, right? But you were there. After I had my epidural, I was a very lovely person. We had a lot of fun joking around. I remember a lot of laughter in my labor room. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. That was an entertaining time. 
And the baby ended up coming so quickly once he did come that you barely were out of the room. And so you stuck your iPhone and was taking video. I remember that. Do you remember that? I don't remember I took a video. Do you still have it? I'd love to Yes, see it. yes. And fortunately, it's of Jack more than me. And one of the last, like, I mean, I could think of a ton of fun memories because we've had a, a great relationship over our entire time of knowing each other. But I think you'll agree that this was probably a top for you, probably in a different way than it was a top for me. But it was the time that Cookie, she has a cat named Sugar Cookie, who is the least sweet cat ever. I'm sorry to say. No, I'm not. I take that back. I'm not sorry to say. That cat is only nice to you, Mom. And my husband and I were over for some, I don't even know what, but I was on the bed. We were staying in the guest room, one of the kids' old rooms, and I was on the bed and your mom was there and somehow Cookie got under the bed. And I don't remember, I think maybe Patrick, it was either you or Patrick were trying to get him out and you got Cookie activated. Cookie was like ready to shred somebody. And I'm terrified of cats. Terrified. Mm -hmm which I've come to learn since is more of an OCD thing, and I'm fine. I don't love cats, but I, I don't have to be away from them now. But this event was like, I'm dying. Let me just say my farewell to the world. And your mom was laughing so hard. I remember, like, just tears. Do you remember this? I don't remember my mom, but I remember getting the cat. Yeah, because you were like, I'm going to come in, but they couldn't. It was kind of like, I know this happened with me when the kids were little. Like, they would get stuck, like, half their body in the toy box and half the body, and they're screaming, they're stuck. And you're like, oh, it's so good. I have to take a picture to remember this first. I was probably on this island of mattress, like, dear Lord, CN5. And you guys were, like, just taking it in. And then at one point, Cookie was out, and there was a standoff. And I didn't know she was going to jump and, like, murder me, which obviously is what she would have done. Because it wasn't you, and you were the only person she liked. <laughs> and then, and you guys were just on the other side. And I thought, like, Popo was, like, just, like, rivers of tears. She was laughing so hard. And it was entertaining, I can say, after the fact. But yeah, that's that is a very vivid memory that I have from your old house. Oh my gosh. Any fun memories you can think of, you can dunk on me if it's if, even if it's at my expense, it's it's all good. One of my favorite memories, so I don't know if you even remember it, but after you guys got married, it was somewhere at the reception I would imagine or afterwards, shortly afterward. I remember going up to you and saying, this is my son, and I give him to you. I'm back and all. He's all yours. Good luck. <laughs> I believe that you said that. There were a lot of things to soak in from that day, and it, it's kind of a blur. But yeah, that sounds accurate. I love it. The other memory I have of you, and I, I'm sorry if this doesn't make you laugh, oh. but it makes me laugh when I remember it. I was at your house. You were postpartum, I think, with Emma. No, this was with Luke. I think, is it about feeding the dog? Oh, yeah. Yes. About feeding the dog. You were postpartum and had sleep. And I gave the dog something you didn't want me to, that you told me not to give to the dog. And I gave it to her anyway. And you gave me a little bit of a, uh, 
head bump upside the head. <laughs> when verbal. A, a verbal head, like a verbal bitch slap kind of thing. Like, yeah. I remember that because Luke had a lot of weight checks and we were having breastfeeding troubles and supplementation. And we didn't like feeding the dog table food, which mom is <laughs> notorious for being like, I don't care. I'm grandma. I'm mushy. I'm going to feed her. And we had a little battle of the not in my house <laughs> postpartum uh, anger. But I'm glad that you look back at it and you can laugh because I was pretty ticked and I was pretty forceful. And you guys, what she did in response was as good as you could hope. I don't know if you remember, but you said, I'm sorry. And you gave me a hug and told me you loved me. You didn't push it at all. You were like, okay, I love you. Sorry. <laughs> that was the truth. It's your house, your dog. Obey my rules. And she didn't feed the dog again. I was, I, it was, a, it was a, a very strong, impassioned speech that I dealt right at that all moment. That was set a boundary. I really set a boundary. And what was, if I, again, what was talking to me about it was because I know you were insane anyway. You're not normally insane. Well, thanks, Mom. You're not. But after giving birth, everybody's insane. I mean, I went specifically in uh, China to make sure okay. I wanted to be there, not so much for the birth as for the two weeks postpartum day, because that's the day that mom is sitting there thinking, I haven't had any food. I haven't had any sleep. I don't know if I'm going to live through this. And I wanted to be there with her to let her know, you'll live through it. Yeah. You're alive. I'm alive. But the baby's yes. alive. Yes. Yeah. That was very sweet. You've done that for all of your daughters and daughter-in-law. And so, and after Emma, you saved really your son because I was ready to murder him. <laughs> By no fault of his own, he had a couple herniated discs, but he was, he was really struggling and in a ton of pain. And mom showed up and he was miraculously better because he had had some epidurals that had reduced the pain. And he was like, I'm not going to do the surgery. And I'm like, you will die not from your back, but from me if you do not get the surgery. And mom stayed with us for like a month. So, I mean, I owe you for that one. But I remember <laughs> Angie and you saved Patrick. <laughs> well, we know what happens when we become mothers. And I'm also a wife, so. Yes. Actually, yeah, I did. I felt like there was camaraderie between you and I. We're like this guy. Yeah, we love him, but he might not make it if he doesn't go through the surgery. Yeah. Well, you know, that's what you teach. That's what you need to teach Jack and Luke is I'm giving you away someday and training you on how to survive. So I remember the first time I met you. So the first time I met dad, he came down and Patrick was at my house hanging out and he was picking Patrick up to take him to a Dodgers game. So I met him like briefly in passing because I remember for whatever reason, Patrick had driven over there, maybe just because dad wanted to meet me. But then when I met you was when we came up for the little brief conference. And you guys were hosting. So my in-laws, my mother and father-in-law are very hospitable. I mean, this is like one of their major giftings. They just have a heart of hospitality. Sometimes to a fault because they'll be so hospitable that they'll forget who they offered the hospitality to and they get overbooked. But they are very, very generous. And so you had like a ton of people you were hosting at your house. 
And we went up for Libri, and I remember you and I sitting. They had this back patio that overlooked Auburn in Northern California, and we were on the porch, and I remember us drinking wine back when you were drinking wine, Mom. Do you remember Um, that? The good old days before it gave me a headache. Yes. So mom used to drink wine. Mom and dad actually had a wine cellar in the basement of that house. And it was a really cool wine cellar, which ended up being the home to my wedding dress until you guys moved. (laughs) Which you guys probably were sick of looking. But you see, you stopped drinking wine and you forget it's in there because you weren't going into the cellar to grab a bottle. But they had a really cool wine cellar. And at one point, at one point, dad even had a little vineyard of his own. He toyed around with trying to make some wines himself but yeah I remember having conversations up there back when you were drinking wine and like you said wine gives you a headache now and we're going to talk a little bit about this but what I was hoping we could talk about today is our mutual conversations and revelations around OCD as well as emetophobia emetophobia being the fancy schmancy term for that fear of throwing up which You're well aware because you're like, yeah, been there, done that, been dealing with that. And we talked on the podcast a little bit about emetophobia last year as an OCD-related disorder, but it's really that fear of vomiting. And it can stand alone, but it can also do quite the wrestling match with OCD. And so if you're comfortable with it, I was thinking maybe we could talk about emetophobia and OCD. Does that sound like something you'd be up for? Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to start with fans, right? Because when my oldest, so Jack, when he was little, he loved himself a fan. It was very soothing. It was very, like, it had kind of a stimming quality. He used to call them people. We would walk into, like, a restaurant and he'd be like, oh, look, the people. Because I think we had shown him at one point, pointed to the crowd, and he thought we were pointing to all the fans because obviously that was what caught his eye. And so for a little bit, he would call the fans people. But he really liked fans. He loved looking at fans. He had a swing. He would love to swing back and forth. All of that vestibular movement. You, on the other hand, hate fans. You're not against the cooling properties of fans. But can you tell me a little bit about what it is about fans that triggers you? Well, what happened was in 1983, I had a really, really bad bout of vertigo. And it was a flu virus that I had. Mm-hmm. And since then, it broke something in my brain. And doctors have told me, what you've got is your vestibular. And that is, I can't handle the motion anymore. That's a regulated motion going in circles. It, I don't know what my brain says, except don't look there because it may give you a headache. Mm-hmm. kind of thing. It could make me feel a little nauseous, but not not a whole lot. I mean, fans aren't the thing that bothered me. Music, I can't listen to music at night. Really? Although I can listen to TV all night long. Music has a rhythm and it has a beat to it. And it's the rhythm and the beat that drives me nuts. Interesting. I, yeah. I never had that prior to, but I've had it ever since. Now, has it gotten better? It's gotten better because I've learned how to deal with it. For instance, when Patrick is always wiggling his leg, if it begins to bug me, put my hand on his leg and he goes, oh, yeah, because he knows what I'm doing. If it's a fan and it's bugging me, I ask somebody to turn it off. You know, I've gone into people's homes and asked to turn. You turn she off has. the fan, had to do with you, but I'm insane, so she ha- don't care. <laughs> You're insane. 
She she has because you live north of Orlando in a place called the Villages now, which is like ninety neighborhoods equaling a town is what it feels like, <laughs> with a lot of roundabouts in between. And the Villages is like described as like Disney World for retired and mature folks. In fact, there are, you know, pools where, like, no one can get in without an ARP card kind of thing or being a resident. And so it's very, very catered toward a relaxing, just social vibe for retirement age. Would that be a correct way to categorize the villages? Yes. Yeah. So you live there. And as anybody who's ever, even if you've never been to Orlando or only been there maybe to go to Disney World, You probably are going during vacation times like spring break or summer where it is hot and humid and tropical. And so there are a lot of fans on. You kind of like moved over to an exposure center, Mom, because everywhere you go, there's fans. That's true. But, you know, I've learned how to deal with it. I just shut my eyes. Yeah, you just avoid looking at it. First, put on a hat. She does. She will not. Yes, you'll cover your eyes, you'll put on a hat, or you'll go buy a hat if you don't have a hat. You'll hold up a menu. You'll, yes, yeah. She'll want to switch seats, but there in Orlando, I would imagine most seats have a good view of a fan going because of how hot it can get and how humid it can get, especially during the summertime. So I know that she has different strategies that she can use. And like you mentioned, you're worried about getting a headache, which you also mentioned with the wine. Now it gives me headaches. And something about the headaches and that we talked about specifically even around fans this past Christmas was too how if you were to get a migraine, then if you get a migraine, now you're going to maybe get sick, right? Right. And if you get sick and nauseous, where you could get nauseous from looking at a fan, but you probably wouldn't unless you got a headache. Nausea in and of itself, even if you're not vomiting, nausea probably feels pretty triggering from a sensation sense in your body with having that fear of throwing up. The fear of throwing up came when my parents got divorced. I'm a little girl. We're talking maybe eight years old at this point, seven, eight, nine years old. And I don't know what I was thinking about, but I said to myself, if I had to do something like a chore or something, and I didn't want to do it. And I said, if you don't do it, then something really bad will happen. Well, I'm seven years old, eight years old. What's really bad? The only thing I could think of was throwing up that I hated was throwing up. So I began to become superstitious around this. If I don't do this, then I'll throw up. Well, as I've grown up over the years, obviously that's not true. I've had to tell myself the truth on it. But you don't know it. Well, maybe you know it. Maybe you can see it kind of thing. But you have no idea what goes through my head and how I have to correct myself and how I do things. I mean, I've thrown away food because it was out one hour longer than I thought it should be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just keep myself in a position where, well, it's like with Muffy and the kids. I don't care if they, the kids have a runny nose. Couldn't care less. But if they have a fever with that runny nose, or if they have vomiting or diarrhea, I don't need to be around them because then they've got a flu bug that I don't want to catch. If it's just your regular cold where your nose is running and I'm running after you with a hanky in my hand, no big deal. 
I mean, technically, especially with the youngest one being at a prime teething age. And by the way, mom has cutesy little nicknames for everybody. So this person's name is not really Muffy, but we can leave it at Muffy. And my husband was Bug and uh, Bucket. I mean, (laughs) Bucket, Muffy and, and Bug. There you go. And she's mushy, so you might hear me refer to her because I'm used to saying that, especially with the kids. And Judah, that would be dad, so that everybody gets a fun name, right? But what I would say is, even being of a teething age, sometimes that can spike a fever and that can spike a runny nose and that can actually even, there can be a response of diarrhea. But like you said, the trigger of it could be the flu too, though, ends up really ramping up and then there's that extreme fear of getting the flu right yeah i'm not gonna say so much it's fear because there's no sense in i've been able to work this through a lot but what it does is it changes my behavior it does and ocd part of it that i see you guys have no idea what's going on in my head but i do So interesting that you say that, and I I don't want this to sound dismissive by any means, but here at the OCD Family Podcast, I bet we have a pretty good idea of some of the things that might go through your head. Me, a person having a lived experience of OCD as well, I'm sure we've heard it all, but you did really describe that wrestling that we talked about that can happen between OCD and emetophobia. Because having the, if I don't do this correctly, this bad thing is going to happen, that is a hallmark OCD equation, right? Whether it's an intrusive thought, if we look at it that way, or an obsessional doubt, if we look at it that way, which is speaking to treatment models that we use, mom, it is very, very common to have that. And what are you going to do in response? You're going to engage most likely in a safety behavior to try and cope with the distress that that brings about. And so if I do the chore correctly and I get superstitious about that and I didn't throw up, then that validates that. And when that thought comes up again, I need to just do that again to keep the peace. Whereas if I did throw up or if I did get sick, if I did get a headache because the fan was on or I did get a headache because I drank some wine, it could lead to something bad happening ultimately, whether it's the throwing up, which is in and of itself its own thing with emetophobia or with an OCD intrusive outcome. You and dad traveled a lot, Egypt and all over Europe. She has gone back to Italy and met up with family and had wine and wonderful Italian dinners with family, etc. You've been to China, you've been, you've been all over. And you don't like traveling as much anymore, which I get the sense of also is worried about getting sick and there may be other kind of intrusive fears there, but I feel like it ends up having some of that flavor to it. Is that right or not? Uh, It depends. I have Parkinson's for one thing. For the last, I don't know, five, six years, I've been diagnosed. And it's really uncomfortable to sit on a plane Mm -hmm. and then off the plane after three or four hours. Then we sit around the terminal for another three or four hours and we go on another flight kind of thing. I, that is what I hate. I remember when I was young, when I first went to Europe, when I, right, when I had become a Christian and I decided to go on to Europe, I didn't even think about those things. If I needed to spend the night in the airport, oh, well, 
I just did whatever needed to be done. But that, I think, had to do with age. You know, it's interesting. I told Jack this morning as he was going to school, I said, I'm going to be talking to Mushy about OCD. And he had some vivid memories of you practicing an exposure to see what kind of things he was doing for his OCD over Christmas. And I said, if you had any questions for Mushy about OCD, because he has OCD as well, like, what questions do you have? And Jack said, why is she afraid of the fan? Like, the fan, it's literally furniture, which is a very concrete way of thinking about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're curious, and you have a lot of things you're afraid of, too, that she's probably not afraid of, and she might have similar questions, like, why are you afraid of this? Why are you afraid of that? And he said, I think I know why. And I said, why? And he said, because I think that she's afraid that it's going to make her sick and then she'll choke and then she'll die. And I think she's scared of death. And I thought that was pretty insightful for a nine-year-old to be able to take it there. And you say, you don't know the way I'm thinking. We know. We know the way you're thinking. (laughs) Yeah. He's smart and he's insightful. As concrete as he is for the developmental age he is, he was able to see that. And I think you and I had a similar conversation before about how Yeah, the thought of losing control and getting to the end and finding out and having that terrifying revelation that's either going to feel all good or all bad. It feels pretty extreme. The stakes feel pretty high. It's pretty scary. So the idea of dying is pretty scary. Something that my mother-in-law, y'all, has said since I've known her is if she gets sick and she's going to die, just give her a shot, euthanize her. She doesn't want to be in the pain. She doesn't want to be in the misery. She doesn't want it to go slowly, like kill her now kind of thing, which she says kind of a little sensationally, but also a little bit like with a little bit of, I would say, a grain of fear in there as well. Would that be fair? I would say with a grain of fear in there because I don't like my options when I die. Until it actually happens, it's not a done deal. When I started learning about OCD, it was an aha moment of realizing how many people around me, myself included, had OCD. And so this is part of why I wanted to talk with you, because we both have lived experience of OCD. And I remember talking with you and going, Mom, I think that you might have OCD. Do you remember that conversation? It was a while ago. Was I like, OCD? I don't think so. Yeah, I think at first it was like, I'm not sure, but we talked about it more in terms of what are the hallmarks of OCD. And I remember you going, oh, yeah, yeah, because this did it. Like you were like, yeah, I, 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 I'm totally vibing with it. Right. Like that happens. And so I know that we started talking about it. Obviously, I'm your daughter-in-law, not your therapist, but I encourage you to even attend a training on OCD. And you went to the virtual conference with me sometime during COVID, maybe 2021 or something like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. I remember you flew in and it almost didn't happen because again, it was like COVID times and that was a very hard time because of the many risks and what we have going on health-wise in the family. Did not want to expose risks. Plus, you know, these fears around getting sick too amplified during COVID time. But I remember you coming to the OCD conference. And do you, what do you recall from the, the virtual conference? Anything stand out for you? 
Well, first thing that stands out is it was you and me, and I thought that was very fun. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting that we chose to go to different meetings. And I went to the phobia, the vomiting. They had one on a vomiting phobia. I loved it. I thought they were very right on with what they talked about. And then I got CEUs for my license. So it was all good. Yeah. So even though we have the same license and did very different jobs, we had the same licensing requirements for the state of California. I still have my state of California license that I maintain as well as my Indiana license. But California is always its own animal and its list of expectations and whatnot. So usually if I, whatever I do for California more than meets the need for my Indiana license. But yeah, we had license renewal. We decided to get some CEUs together. And I know that you also went to a couple of sessions or at least one that I think maybe I was in as well on scrupulosity. Do you remember that? Explain to me which one it was. It was here in that spiritual realm of like, what if I didn't understand this correctly? Or what if I'm wrong about the way that I've studied? What if salvation is not salvation, et cetera? Some of those questions. Do you remember going to this session? That, that would be where, because I'm a cognitive therapist, cognitive behavioral therapist. Right. More cognitive than behavioral, but definitely. The two, I remember that. And when you say, what if, I go right back to my training of what if we always catastrophize. <laughs> What's the course? Yeah. I have other people in my life that have had some different scrupulosity challenges. And any way you slice it, if you're dealing with any kind of moral or even spiritual scrupulosity, OCD is OCD. It's, it's distressing and it's very, very scary. So we'll talk about that theme more next week. To end things on a little light note, I thought maybe we could do a little would you rather real quick. A little round of would you rather. Are you game? Sure. Do you know how to play? No. So I'm going to ask you a would you rather question and it's going to give you two choices. So we'll start off with kind of just for fun. Would you rather have 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife (laughs) or always have a knife? But never be able to use spoons. Mm. We're getting to the serious questions I, now. I, I would want the spoons. Be okay. able to use spoons. There you go. Okay. 10,000 spoons. That's a lot of spoons. It should last you. Well, it's a spoon. It's I a mean, spoon. I need a, need a knife, but, but what are you going to What are you going to do? Well, you could choose the knife, but never have a spoon. Exactly. I need a spoon much more often than I need a knife. All right. Fair. You did a good job with your first would you rather. See, not too bad. Would you rather be stuck with your spouse in a treehouse or in a tent on a rainy day? On a rainy day? On a rainy day and dad can't leave. (laughs) He can't leave it. Would you rather be holed up together in a treehouse or in a tent? Treehouse. Why? I'm curious. I don't know, but this yelled tent. Because I'm thinking you can probably... Maybe stand up in a treehouse and, you know, there's better things to look at. Yeah. I love that he's in earshot and he's like definitely a tent. That means the fact that you chose treehouse, he'd be miserable from the start because he'd be like, why aren't we in the tent, Debbie? Go into the tent. 
<laughs> no, no. I mean, unfortunately, you guys are in the treehouse now. You got to wait the storm out. <laughs> oh, well, that poor husband's be miserable. That's okay. I, If I know dad, dad, you would just get out and be like, I don't care if I'm getting wet. I'm too, I don't want to be bottled up in this treehouse. Am I right? I, I didn't think I was going to get wet in the treehouse. I assumed I wouldn't. No, I'm saying if dad was like stuck in the treehouse, he might go, I don't care if it's raining. I'm getting out and oh. I'll get wet because I don't oh. want to be stuck in a treehouse. That's yeah. that's yeah. my thought. I could be wrong. Okay. There were a couple of little silly ones. Here's one if you're up for it that is more toward maybe some metaphobia OCD content. Are you game? I'm game. Okay. She's always game. See, you can't put her up to something because she'll like, I'll do it and I'll show it and then I'll rub your face in how well I did it, which we know. So it's an easy way to go her too. Okay. Would you rather have a baby vomit on you or vomit on a baby? I would rather have the baby vomit you mean to clean up. I mean, it didn't say, did it? I don't know. To clean up or say it again because if it's just cleaning up vomit off of a baby, that's yeah. Would you rather I... have a baby vomit on you or vomit on a baby or me vomit on a baby? Yes, someone's vomiting, either they're vomiting oh. all over you or you're vomiting all over them. Oh, for sure, the baby you want I... the baby vomiting I... on you. Yeah, I don't want to be vomiting on the baby, forget that. Yeah. Yeah, although babies vomit on us all the time, so it would be like, hey, that's what you get. No, just kidding. That's what you get. And poop that goes from the head to their toes. That's right. How do you like it if I poop on you? This this turned real quick, didn't it? Okay. Would you rather have to look at a fan every day for two weeks or be on a cruise ship for two weeks? Oh, I'd be on a cruise ship. More than the fan? Yeah, you wouldn't worry about the cruise ship making you dizzier or more vertigo feeling than the fans would. Well, if it did, I'd get some composine and do what I could. But it's more, if I have to look at a fan for two weeks, it'll drive me crazy. She looked at a fan, which is not on. She can look at still fans all the live long day. But I will note she did just look at a fan. Because <laughs> now you moved the camera and now I see the fan in the shot. Oh. It's like, it's like center center stage there it oh. was it wasn't moving i put on a hat this is where we watch tv i either put on a hat or we turn it off right so you learned in marriage to compromise by blocking your view because you've learned the other thing i do is i don't too often bitch at him about keeping it down to 72 degrees in this household which i've got a blanket on me at 72 degrees Fair. so he gets 72 degrees and I keep the fan off. So he, you get the cooler temperature and you, you air condition the entire house for not having the fan up. Yeah, I that's, hate the fan up. Even if I'm not looking at the fan That's up. the daughter-in-law response, by the way. I've been fairly, like, neutral, but that was the daughter-in-law. So you'd rather pay <laughs> to fill the whole house with air conditioning than just have the fan on. That's, that's us having our little dynamic there. Okay, last but not least, would you rather break an ankle? Or get norovirus? I'd rather break an ankle. I've already broken an ankle and had to have surgery. And I can tell you to go through it. It's not that big of a deal. You've also had norovirus and you've gotten What's through it. That's what you got after you went. I think maybe you and dad both got it in Ohio a couple of years ago. 
You guys oh. got real sick. Dad had to go to the ER multiple times because of dehydration and other stuff. Do you remember that? You know, whatever it is, you feel sick. I would prefer not to feel sick. So break that ankle. I'll break that ankle again. Yeah. All righty. What I will say in a couple of days, there's going to be an online virtual faith and OCD conference sponsored by International OCD Foundation. And I think it might be a really interesting thing. I know you don't need to see you anymore, but you could attend as somebody that's having these wrestling questions, and it's much cheaper to attend if you don't need the CEOs. If you would be interested in some of that information, I could text you yeah, about the conference. Because it's, it's all specifically focused towards some of the scrupulosity chat that we've had today, and I think that could be helpful. Well, Mel, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with me about all of this. See, that wasn't, was it all right? I guess I shouldn't say well, it was. It was wonderful. It wasn't, I, I, you know, I trust you. I love you. You're wonderful. I love what you're doing. And I, I honestly, if I were to say anything, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel if you're asking me to be on a podcast, but okay. Scraping the bottom of the barrel. I mean, affirmations. It's Affirmation Friday. <laughs> but you have a way with words. Again, there's that hallmark writer in her. But I appreciate it. And I know that people, whether they're practitioners like me or just a person that has had their own wrestling with a loved one or themselves being tortured by OCD, what you have shared is definitely more than scraping the bottom of the barrel because it's a very common struggle. It's a very common difficulty of wrestling through this. That's about as good as it's going to get today. No worries. Thanks for taking the time. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay, family. So, hey, we're getting real close now, aren't we? This, this is my mom. This is my mother-in-law. You're hearing about some of our history, some of the funny and not so funny at the time experiences we've had, but we can laugh at now. And we're keeping it real. But hey, kettle corn, that was, that was pretty good, right? Salty, sweet. Yeah, I love it. And I love her. So thanks again, Debbie, for coming on the show. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we will be diving into scrupulous OCD a lot more next week with her and how this shows up for Debbie IRL. I, I just, I can't sometimes with the acronyms. And Debbie, if you're listening to this, you're probably like, what is IRL? That's in real life. I know, I know. It's nonsense, Debbie. Don't worry about it. It's an acronym, but it's also just not for us, I think. <laughs> and that's okay. We'll, we'll leave it at that. But in today's intrusive thought segment, which is the application segment of every show, I want to talk about how to have these conversations around OCD with family, especially when maybe we don't agree with each other's conclusions or see eye to eye on treatment. I mean, Debbie and I didn't get into it much today, but we're definitely getting into that chat next week about treatment. When is it the right time? Why? Why not? What are the conditions or rules around if, how, when, why treatment could even be considered. And I'm going to hazard a guess that for a decent chunk of y'all OCD family community, there are similar circumstances coming up for you. So what do you do with that? How do we have conversations about treatment, concerns, hope, fears, without totally shutting the other person down 
or having them resist or avoid us or these types of conversations. It's tricky, y'all, but it's important to understand why this is coming up. In all honesty, who among us, for real, who among us are big fans of peanut gallery folks approaching us and telling us how they think we could be doing life better or how they think we're doing life wrong or how they think we're managing our stress incorrectly or prioritizing the wrong things. For example, if you came up to me and criticized my sleep schedule, which I know is redonkulous for starters, but overall, I'm saying overall, Patrick, because I know Patrick will listen and he'll be like, no, but for real, our sleep schedule sucks. It's not that bad. Always. We've had a little bit of a streak lately of mischievous acting out, like, I'm going to stay up. I'm doing it. It's been a long day. I know morning me will be like, what's wrong with evening you? But that's okay. I'm going to just not worry about morning me so much and just do my thing, right? Like, I work all day. I do the mom things. My husband works all day. And then when he gets off of work, I go into the office and work and do professional therapist type things. And then in my free time, I do podcast things, which is kind of unfortunate for housework type things, but I love it. And I love you guys and I love connecting with you. And so I work on it. But at the end of the day, where I may feel like I have not had a minute to myself, y'all, and I decided to scroll my phone or watch some garbage television because we all know love isn't blind, but we're going to watch the (laughs) quote unquote experiment anyway. Then do I want to hear about how I should go to bed earlier? I really should get more sleep? Why haven't I turned off my screen one hour before I go to bed? Do I do a settling down routine or even maybe plug in my device an entire room away like I have an actual alarm clock or something to wake me up if my phone is not right there? Can I get an amen? No, I don't want to hear that. I know it. And sometimes I might do it, especially if my phone died because I was on it earlier and now it's out of battery. But I know what I can do. I know what might help. And I'm also choosing to do this right now. Dr. Alec Pollard, a very wise specialist in our OCD field, did a really interesting talk about treatment and or recovery avoidance way back in the day. Like, 10 years ago, I think even, at ADAA, because I think it was like 2013. I'll put a reference and a link to this on the blog, but I remember he made such an interesting point. Making these healthy, optimal choices, like in the scenario that I just explained with my sleep schedule, the reward is delayed. I might feel better if I get more sleep, but that is in the future. And it might just be tomorrow, but tomorrow is still in the future. And if I'm tired, I'm told and I have experienced, at times, getting more sleep will help. But I won't get more sleep and feel the positive effects of that until at least tomorrow. So that doesn't help me feel better right now. And I want to feel better right now. So scrolling through my phone, binge-watching the latest season of Love is Blind, zoning out, that's immediate. It's here. It's now. I'm tired from doing all the things. I'm going to just indulge. I'm going to have my moment. I'm going to shoot my shot, which just doesn't sound right coming out of my mouth, the things kids say. And so what happens? We're more likely to binge. We're more likely to go to bed too late. And this happens and it can happen over and over and 
over again until the point where you're chronically tired and don't even know what it means to feel rested anymore. Does that sound familiar? Just me? And what I can say is that makes us crankier. Yeah, I said it, I know. Or amplifies feelings or negatively impacts health. And yes, well, more sleep is a worthy investment. It's a good thing to do. I'm tired of doing all the things right now. So maybe I'll just start a new show, scroll through my phone, watch a few TikToks. We all have our things. Things we allow ourselves to get swept away in and they have some benefits as much as they have some consequences. If they didn't, we wouldn't keep doing them. And the delivery, it feels immediate. It's not delayed. So it's important to have a lot of empathy and understanding if a loved one isn't just chomping up the bit to run into therapy or treatment, just like I'm not rushing off to bed. There is a reason. And sometimes we might feel desperate, depending on the situation, right? Like, my guy, I'm desperate for you to have this help. And yet, They're desperate not to do the very thing, the very quote-unquote fix that you are proposing. It's easy to draw battle lines and assume someone is lazy or just stubborn or tenacious or unwilling. But does it ever dawn on us that maybe they're feeling the exact same way about us? I mean, I wouldn't love that. I think we come to this place honestly with an intention and a desire to help. but. If we zoom out, y'all, we have a better chance of actually seeing the other person and empathizing with just how hard they're working, how hard they're trying, how hard they're fighting to survive. Debbie said a few times over, quote, but you don't know my thoughts, end quote. You're right, Debbie. I don't know your thoughts. I know my thoughts, and I know the thoughts of many courageous warriors who have dared to step into my office. But that doesn't mean that you, Me, our OCD family community, we are our thoughts. We don't want this by any means. We're fighting through it on the daily. And so recognizing the fight people have put in, whether they're willingly leaping into treatment or holding themselves up in the corner and fighting their battles, they're still fighting. They're not just lazy and stubborn. They're terrified and they're trying. So we'll continue to talk more about Scoop next week, and we'll talk more about what can be helpful in supporting our folks that are struggling getting into the therapy room, that are struggling treatment. But just know, whether that's you leaping in or surviving out, you're not alone. And while I can't know your thoughts, I know OCD, and I know that you've fought hard. And I know that you, regardless of where you're standing, are a warrior. I see you. We see you. So come on back next week to hear more sweet, sassy loveliness from my mother-in-law, Debbie. And if you can, let's zoom out and let's validate our loved ones. You're fighting so hard. I'm sorry this is so painful. Not with a solution offered. Not with a, if you don't do treatment. Not with any of that. Just recognizing, even if the last thing you're ready to do is this treatment. I know you're fighting this so hard, and I love you, and I'm proud of you, and I'm sorry that this is so painful. Can we affirm that for our loved ones today? It's my charge to you. And then come back, because I would love for you to hear more about Debbie's story 
And if anything else, got some sweetness and some sassiness ahead. So let's do this spam. Thank you for joining me and our OCD family community. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please like and subscribe to the OCD Family Podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Did you find this content helpful? Please consider leaving a review. The more people that know they're not alone, the better. For more information regarding today's podcast, please visit OCDFamilyPodcast.com and remember to join the email list while you're there. It will provide you with the most up-to-date information, resources, and the demo on the family chatter. Oh yeah, nothing says family like Debbie and me talking about our family. That's right, I went there. And you can too at OCDFamilyPodcast.com.